Good morning, church. The first Bible reading today is taken from Acts chapter 17, verse 1 to 9. And it can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1578. Acts chapter 17. When Paul and his companions had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. The second reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. It can be found in your Pew Bible on page 1681. First Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you not only in Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it, for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you, have, how you turned to God from idols and served the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescued us from the coming wrath. Thanks, Cecilia. Uh, can I ask you please to take out the leaflet that you're given as you came in, or else to get one from the doors? You'll see on the inside 
reasonably detailed outline of what I'm going to cover. Uh, also, the whole of 1 Thessalonians 1 is reprinted there for you in three parts, so that will be good to have in front of you so that you can follow along more easily. Uh, you'll notice as you look at the outline, down the bottom right, there's also a discussion question, which time permitting we'll get to at the end, just to give you a chance to turn and share with each other. Well, as we start this new series on 1 Thessalonians, uh, you'll see at the top left of your handout, there's a question there. And the question is, what is Trinity Church Adelaide known for? What is Trinity Church Adelaide known for? Here's a few possibilities. The first is that uh, we are known, as is obvious, as the oldest church in South Australia, the first church, or maybe the pioneer church. That sounds a little bit less self-promoting than first church. Uh, lots of people in South Australia have a family member who was baptised, married or buried here. In fact, did you know, have a look on the screen behind me, we are even on the Monopoly board. How about that? That's how you know you've made it. Maybe that's what we're known for. Maybe here in South Australia, in, at Trinity Church Adelaide, we're known as an evangelistic church planting church. So have a look on the screen behind me. Uh, we're part of a network of 14 churches now. Here at Trinity Church Adelaide, we've planted five times in the last 20 years and almost all of those churches have themselves planted again. So maybe that's what we're known for. Or maybe most simply, here at Trinity Church Adelaide, what we're known for, next slide, thanks Anna, is that we are known for just solid Bible teaching of a desire to sit faithfully under the Word of God even when it's very hard and countercultural. Well, the reason I'm starting this talk and this series with this question, what is our church known for, is because in 1 Thessalonians we hear that this is a church whose faith in God has become known everywhere. A church whose faith in God has become known everywhere. Now I want us to use that idea to reflect on who we are today. Now, in recent times, as you know, we've been making our way through a couple of topical series. Today, we return to what you might call is our bread and butter preaching. We're just going to work through a book of the Bible from start to finish, line by line. So here we go. Chapter 1, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians, the church of the Thessalonians in God. Pick it up with me there in verse 1, print it on your handout. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. A little bit of background, uh, Thessalonica was the capital of the Roman province of Macedonia. Uh, as a city, it sat on a key trade route, it had a natural harbour, and as a result, it was a very, very wealthy place. You'll see on the slide behind me, just a little bit of a map that shows Paul's second missionary journey. Uh, he's moving in a counterclockwise direction, starting at Antioch off to the right, about halfway down. And basically, he's making his way around the Middle East, uh, establishing churches, um, he goes to places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, Corinth, Ephesus. According to Acts 17, the first reading that Cecilia brought to us, did you notice Paul was only in Thessalonica for three weeks? But in that short time, lives were changed forever. So much so that just a few months later, Paul from Corinth is writing to the Thessalonians to a church that's still in its infancy, the church that was experiencing religious persecution. Uh, in fact, the whole reason Paul didn't stay any longer than three weeks in Thessalonica, as you heard, he got chased out of town by opponents of Christianity, 
I assume that they just redirected their their hostility towards the Thessalonians who stayed. So it's no surprise, really, that Paul's a bit concerned about what might have happened to them. And so he writes to them. Now, given that background, what's remarkable, I think, in verse 1, normally we gloss over the first line, but I want us to look at it today. Verse 1, Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. What's most significant, I think, is that this brand new church that's still taking its tentative first steps, Paul says, did you notice, it's the church of the Thessalonians in God. The church of the Thessalonians in God. Now, at other times when Paul writes to different churches, he reverses the order. So, for example, there on your handout, he talks about the church of God in Corinth. But this time he says the church of the Thessalonians in God. Which I think actually would be a tremendous encouragement for the church that's already under attack in its first few weeks of existence. To be described as being in God. In fact, as you heard, later he will say that they are loved by God and chosen by God. And as then, so now, how wonderful it would be if we were known as the Church of the Adelaideans in God. Wouldn't that help you to stand just a little bit taller? to be a little bit less concerned about opposition, to be a touch more confident about the future, come what may. Well, let's see what Paul is going to pray for the Thessalonians. Pick it up with me in verses 2 and 3. Point 2, what Paul prays for the Thessalonians. Verse 2, We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Now remember, Paul only spent a very short amount of time with the Thessalonians, perhaps as little as three weeks, and yet in that short time, he has developed a deep affection and love for this church of the Thessalonians in God. In fact, as we're going to see next week, after Paul was chased out of Thessalonica, he was then hounded out of Berea, He didn't last very long in Athens, and by the time he gets to Corinth, well, as you know, he had his hands full in Corinth, nevertheless, he still hasn't forgotten the Thessalonians. And I reckon it would have been so encouraging for them to hear that the great Apostle Paul, verse 2, always thanks God for all of them and continually mentions them in his prayers. You notice the emphasis, right? Always, all of them, continually praying for them. Aren't you encouraged when others say this to you? That they are praying for you, even though they might not have seen you much in person? I know that I am. And it makes you wonder, how much do we spend time telling others that we are praying for them, and not to draw attention to ourselves, but to strengthen them, particularly in hard situations. Well, notice what Paul specifically thanks God for the Thessalonians for. Verse 3, 
We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labour prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Faith, love, and hope. That great triad that describes the dimensions of Christianity, they are the mark of any authentic Christian community. Whether it's one that's just starting out, like the Thessalonians, only in its first few months of existence, or whether it's a church that's been around for generations, like us here at Trinity, 185 years on this particular site. Faith towards God, love towards other, hope towards the future. Faith towards God, love towards others, hope towards the future. And you see, in each of those three qualities or characteristics, it leads to tangible action, to discernible output or conduct. So, verse 3, work produced by faith, labour prompted by love, endurance inspired by hope, all in our Lord Jesus Christ. So much so that the Thessalonians will become known for this. And back then to my opening question, is this what people would say about us here at Trinity Church Adelaide? Is this what people would thank God for when they pray for us? Well, hold that thought, because what Paul does next is that he expands on this idea in verses 4 through 10. And so you'll see there at the bottom left-hand side, point 3, what Paul knows about the Thessalonians, verses 4 through 10. See, even though Paul only spent that short time with the Thessalonians, he is still incredibly confident about them. We're going to see it's less because of what they have done and more because of what God has been doing amongst them. Pick it up with me, verse 4. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you. And not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. But they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Our two big ideas stand out in this passage. You'll see they're listed both there on your handout. Firstly, point one, the Thessalonians are loved by God and chosen by him. The Thessalonians are loved by God and chosen by him. Verse four, we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. That's interesting, isn't it? Paul has just thanked God for the Thessalonians' labour prompted by love. But what's more important is that they are loved by God. That is, what God is like and what God has done matters more than what we are like, even more than how we treat others. Because, in fact, it's the basis for how we interact with others 
as you hear me often say, the vertical shapes the horizontal. The way God treats us is what enables us to treat others with such love. Even though the Thessalonians have been rejected by their wider society, even though they've been rejected by their broader culture, how wonderfully reassuring for Paul to tell them that God loves them and he has chosen them. And that leads then to the second big idea in this section on the right-hand side of your handout. How can Paul be so confident about the Thessalonians? How can Paul be so confident about the Thessalonians that they are loved by God and have been chosen by him? Well, the answer is that the gospel has changed their lives. So verse 5, verse 5, our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. Our gospel came to you not simply with words but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. If you want to know what it looks like for a church to be gripped by the gospel, for God's power and spirit to be at work, and for deep conviction to issue throughout the entire congregation, well, Paul is going to show what that looks like in this next section. He has two ideas here, and they're both listed there on your handout. One is he talks about a mimic and a model, and the other is he talks about a message and a messenger. Mimic and a model, message and a messenger. Let's start with a mimic and a model. Pick it up with me in verse 6. Paul says... Uh, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Archaea. Notice what Paul is saying there about the Thessalonians. They became imitators or mimics of Paul and of Jesus. And as a result, they became a model to all the believers in the region, in Macedonia and Archaea. Now, you notice that he talks about severe suffering. I think this is the ongoing persecution from the opponents of Christianity. And so what Paul is saying, I think, when he says that we are a mimic and a model, he's saying that, well, just as Jesus suffered persecution, so Paul suffered persecution... So did the church he planted in Thessalonica. And so us today. Because imitation has always been the hallmark of Christian discipleship. I'll say it again, imitation has always been the hallmark of Christian discipleship. I'll give you an example. If you turn to the front of your leaflet, you'll see on the very front there that there's a short little welcome message Uh, particularly to those who are new amongst us and joining us for the first time. Uh, We love it when people join us here on a Sunday and are keen to find out more about Jesus. You notice that I've put in italics this week a few words right in the middle of what it says there. We're people who are overflowing with thankfulness to God for all that he's done for us. And as disciples of Jesus, we are seeking to make more disciples of Jesus throughout our city, our state, our country and to the ends of the earth. See, imitation is the hallmark of Christian discipleship. Just as 
we have been discipled by those who came before us. So what we long to do here at Trinity is to make more disciples of those who will come after us. It's a pattern. It's a pattern forging an unbroken chain that stretches all the way back to Jesus' great commission of his first disciples and stretching forwards until he returns. But perhaps what stands out most in this section is that the Thessalonians experienced, you notice there it says in verse 6, joy in the midst of severe suffering. Joy in the midst of severe suffering. Paul is acknowledging that for Christians, actually, persecution is not just an expected part of discipleship, it's actually also the evidence and confirmation of a transformed life. Now, don't mishear me. I'm not saying that we ought to go looking for persecution or that we ought to relish it when it takes place. But at the same time, I'm not saying persecution ought be minimised or avoided at all costs or even just stoically endured through gritted teeth. Why? Because according to Paul, as you suffer for Christ, the Holy Spirit himself gives you the joy of knowing that you are imitating Christ. The Holy Spirit gives you the joy of following Christ, of knowing that you are on the right path and heading in the right direction and going after our Saviour and Lord. So that's one way in which Paul says the gospel has transformed the Thessalonians' lives. The other way, there on your handout, is when he talks about message and messenger. Message and messenger. Now pick it up with me in verse 8 now. Verse 8. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith has become known everywhere. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith has become known everywhere. See, despite persecution, every church in God receives the gospel and transmits the gospel. That's how it's always been. Uh, And in fact, it's no wonder then that the Thessalonians' faith has become known everywhere. You notice, not just in Macedonia and Archaea, which is a big enough region in and of itself, their faith has become known everywhere. Everywhere. People heard all about those Thessalonians. Those Thessalonians who experienced joy in the midst of severe suffering. That's interesting. When Paul talks about your faith becoming known or the Lord's message ringing out, I don't think he's referring to great evangelistic campaigns or crusades or strategies. I think he's just talking about the witness of how each of us live everyday lives that point towards Jesus. So there's no mention anywhere of the Thessalonians sending out missionaries to reach Macedonia, Achaia and the ends of the earth. They might have. But still, everyone heard about their faith. Presumably through the evidence of their changed lives. 
I take it that everyone was always talking about those Thessalonians, and in a good kind of way. You know, when we use phrases like today, um, something happens and you, and you say, it lit up the internet, or social media blew up over something. That's the kind of metaphor going on here. Everyone heard about their faith. And so Paul can say, the Lord's message rang out. The Lord's message rang out. Now, I love that phrase. In fact, I spent some time thinking about it this week. That phrase ringing out, well, do you know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of our church bell. Now, some of you know that I love ringing the church bell, uh, and you're all welcome to ring it at any point that you want. Um, There's a real art and a skill to it, um, but uh, come and have a try anytime. What I love about it when it rings is that what it says, particularly just before a service starts, it calls to a watching world... Come in and join us. There's something special going on in here. You want to know what it is? There is joy, even in the midst of severe suffering. It seems to me that that's a message that the people of our city might be interested or intrigued to hear more about. Well, Paul says the the Thessalonians' faith has become known everywhere. You might be thinking at this point, okay, so tell me a bit more, what is that faith? Particularly if you're here today as someone who's not a Christian and you're trying to work out what do Christians believe, what is this faith that is so remarkable? Well, actually, the last part of this section, Paul will flesh that out for us. Remember earlier he talked about faith, love and hope? Now he's going to talk about turning serving and waiting. Turning, serving and waiting. Pick it up with me in verses 9 and 10. Verse 9, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Let me say something very briefly about each of those three three things, turning, serving and waiting. Firstly, he says the Thessalonians turned from idols. Turned from idols. Now, that's significant uh, because at the time, uh, idolatry was the norm in the ancient world. Uh, In fact, um, Mount Olympus, uh, where they thought the gods were, were, were lived... Uh, you could actually see Mount Olympus from Thessalonica on a clear day. And of course, in this time, at this place, humanity was constantly beseeching that pantheon of gods, you know, the Zeus and Apollos and Aphrodite. They were constantly calling on them to bless them, even though, as you would be well aware, those gods were actually awfully capricious. Uh, They were terribly petty. In fact, they were just plain vengeful at times. By contrast, Paul says that the church of the Thessalonians in God related to this God, how they were loved by him. They were chosen by him. And he gave them joy by the Holy Spirit. So one part of the Christian faith means turning from idols... A second part, you don't just turn from something, you turn to something. So, to serve the living and true God. 
to serve the living and true God. Now, I don't know if you watched the coronation of King Charles last night. Some would have, no doubt. Others wouldn't have been so interested. But it seems to me that paying homage to him, even if you are the staunchest monarchist amongst us, paying homage to him, that pales in comparison with serving the living and true God. The living and true God. How uplifting to be called into his service. How fulfilling and satisfying. How honourable and privileged to be able to serve him. And that's what every single Christian person has been called to do. To serve the living and true God who loved us, chose us and grants us joy in the Holy Spirit. So turn from idols to serve the living and true God. But the last thing that Paul says here, the last way of describing what the Christian faith is like, is he talks about waiting. Verse 10, to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. If Jesus rescues us from the coming wrath, it means that God's judgment must be serious. It can't just be ignored. But for a Christian, there is no need to fear. Because look at the credentials of God's Son, whom the Father has sent to save us. God has already raised him from the dead. So you know this Jesus has been invested with, dare I say, he has been crowned with power and glory and wisdom and strength. He is the one who we wait for. You notice what Paul is saying here? It's not just that we do something, it's not just that we turn from or turn to something, it actually says that we wait. We wait for Jesus. Because Paul is reminding us that in the end, faith is not just about our action, faith is about waiting for God's intervention. Paul is reminding us salvation is not just about what we do, but thankfully, what God has done in Christ for us and what he will still do. Which is why I've called this whole series Until He Returns. Until He Returns. Because, like the Thessalonians, we are looking forward to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, in fact, and you'll see there in your handout, what I've noted, noted for you is that there's only five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. Every single chapter closes the same way with Paul looking forward to Christ's return. So we've just seen that in chapter 1, verse 9, to wait for Jesus, uh, to wait for his Son from heaven who rescues us from the coming wrath. But chapter 2, verse 19, what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Chapter 3, verse 13, may he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our Lord God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Chapter 4, verse 17, after that we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so we'll be with the Lord forever. 
In chapter 5, verse 23, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, because the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Well, point four then, so what for us? Let me say something very briefly about a theological clarification and then a wonderful encouragement. Firstly, a theological clarification. Uh, being, being confident that we're chosen by God, being confident that we're chosen by God, it doesn't mean that there's a, a spiritual checklist you have to work through to be sure that you're a Christian. You know, as if Christianity is about a whole series of requirements that you have to keep to be sure that God loves you. He does. He's already chosen you. And that's what gives us a deep desire and longing to want to grow even more in our faith. And not to try to appease him or to earn his favour, he's already freely given it. It's so that we might approach him confidently and even dare to call him father. Likewise, being confident that you're chosen by God, it should never make us apathetic or careless about our faith. As if, you know, if God chooses us, there's no need for us to bother trying. Rather, being confident that you're chosen by God, it will always inspire us to want what God wants for us. What does He want? He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow to become more like His Son, whom we strive to imitate. And the thing is, you know it's possible... You know, it's possible because of the way in which Paul always gives thanks continually to God for all the Thessalonians. They were trying. And they were growing. So much so that Paul can proudly say their faith has become known everywhere. And that, I think, is the wonderful encouragement. Because, just like Paul back then, as he wrote to those Thessalonians we too give thanks to God for this church thousands of years before us, showing, showing us what it means to live in imitation of Christ. And I take it that, you know, you like me, you're looking forward to seeing what's coming in the next few weeks. Well, let me finish then with the question with which we began. What is Trinity Church Adelaide known for? What is Trinity Church Adelaide known for? Uh, recall what we've seen the Thessalonians are known for? They were known for faith, love and hope. They were known for being in God, loved by God, chosen by God. They were known for being a mimic and a model, a messenger of a great message. They were known for turning, serving and waiting. And I wonder, are these the things that we are known for? Collectively as a church, but perhaps, and to make this the takeaway for today, more personally, is this what you are known for? Is this what you are excited by and delight in and strive for and live for? Would others even realise what would your unbelieving neighbours say? What would your classmates say? Your workmates? Your teammates? 
And if they knew that this is what you were living for, then what next question might they ask you that might give an opportunity for the gospel to ring out? Well, as I said, what I'd like to do for just a couple of moments as we finish, to try and take this thing that is big and out there and make it personal, um, I'd love for you to turn to the person next to you and have a look at the discussion question that I've printed there for you. Here's the question. It's a, it's a sombre and a serious question. The question is, how does your life show that you have turned, are serving, and are still waiting? How does the way in which you live, how does that show that you have turned, are serving, and are still waiting, that others around might see? I'll give you a couple of minutes just to talk with the person next to you, then I'll close for us in prayer. Over to you. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for starting that conversation. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in the Lord Jesus. Uh, we thank you that in your kindness and grace and mercy you've loved us and have chosen us. We pray that our faith in you and your Son might become known everywhere. And we ask that in so doing, even more might be gathered to praise his good and wonderful name. We pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.